What's up, everybody? Welcome back to SSPN Live. I know it's been a minute, but I'm Jude. That's Ethan. I still, you know, I'm never going to get it right. It's just never going to happen, I guess. But you know who did get it right in game one of the NBA Finals? Ethan, Derek White, former Spur. Let's talk about game one. Let's talk about him. And let's also talk about the game. What were your thoughts on it, my guy? Well, I thought the Warriors are going to run away with the win in the third quarter when they were up by like 16 or so. And then uh, Derek White, Al Horford, the whole gang with the Boston Celtics made that incredible comeback, won that game. Um, you know, I honestly, I just watched the highlights. I didn't actually get to watch the game. I was working that night. Um, so, Jude, why don't you give me your opinion first? I don't want I don't want to be yelled at in the comments later for having a bad opinion because I didn't see the actual game. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I think that you kind of touched on the main points there. It was back and forth for that first half and the Warriors. And, and it seemed like the Warriors were in control. Every time they'd gain a lead, the Celtics would come a little bit back. That's why the Celtics uh, got the lead coming into halftime. Um, and then in the second half, obviously, it really looked like it was going to be in the Warriors' favor. Um, but, you know, the the guys on the bench for the Celtics really stepped up. I mean, 18 points from Marcus Smart. You can't deny that. I want to say Al Horford went like six for eight from three or something. I mean, that's something that you definitely need, especially when you're playing him next to Robert Williams, um, you know, where a lot of people would consider that a two center lineup. But because of Al Horford's versatility, he can play the four. Um, even at 35 years old. That's the other thing. So he's a big story there. And then, of course, um, Derek White, 21 points behind Jalen Brown um, and just, you know, uh, was a big part of slowing down Steph Curry in the second half as well. Um, so got to give a shout out to Derek. He got his three-point shot back, uh, had a lot of Celtics fans, and they were like, thank you for Derek White. And I'm like, look, I know he didn't have the best year, but you can run the tape back on SSPN. There's something about Derek in the clutch. Uh, and he's just one of those guys who shows up. Another thing you have to mention, um, Jalen Brown obviously having a great game when Tatum didn't have the best night scoring. But the thing that you have to also mention about Tatum, even though he had a poor night shooting, he found a way to get 13 assists. So even when your best player wasn't doing what he normally does, he found a way to still contribute, um, which I think was also key to the Celtics getting that win. I mean, just a, a massive statement. The first loss uh, of the playoffs for the Warriors at home. I came into this one, Ethan, thinking that honestly, like I said, five six. I think the Warriors are going to win, and I just think they were. I thought they were going to have too much depth, but there's something about the Celtics team, like I said in the predictions video. But it's also a, a lot to do with their coaching. I think so too. Obviously, we're homers, being Spurs fans. But if you just watch the Celtics and you watch the defense that Ime Udoka and I'm sure Will Hardy has a hand in. Um, it, it's something to marvel at because it is hard to cover the Warriors. And it seemed like at least in the second half of that game, they were able to frustrate them a little bit offensively, which is something that really no team has done scheme-wise to them, honestly, ever. So, I mean, mm -hmm. you could maybe argue, um, I mean, let's see, they, they lost to the to the Cavs, but it's like there were some injuries and LeBron was just kind of being LeBron. I don't think that that was really like, Whoever I don't know if yeah. that was still that one foreign coach. I can't even remember his name. No, no, that Blatt. was that was Ty Lue. <laughs> okay, yeah, Ty Lue, exactly. But uh, yeah, Ty Lue was not scheming up Steve Kerr as I think Ime Udoka uh, is doing a little bit more of. You know, obviously yeah. the Warriors are going to come out and respond. I think, um, but this is a super intriguing game one, and I think it says a lot about the freaking Celtics, man. What I love about the Celtics is they really don't have like a weak link defensively. Like most teams, you're like, okay, we're going to switch Luka onto the worst defender 
and just go to town. You know what I'm saying? But like mm-hmm. the only guy that maybe is considered a weak link defensively, Peyton Pritchard, maybe. Yeah. But yeah. across the board, everyone is incredibly versatile. They can switch almost everything one through five. Um, so going into this series, I was like, this is really like offense versus defense. Like what's what what wins championships? Explosive offense or just like lockdown D? And we're going to find that out. But, dude, I was curious, in the fourth quarter, because you actually saw the game, was it more so like the Warriors kind of losing this game for themselves, like kind of taking themselves out of it, not keeping their foot on the gas? Or was it the Celtics' defense really coming through in the clutch? I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that the defense coming through in the in the clutch frustrated the Warriors like in a way that you hadn't really seen them like when they make these runs in the playoffs teams don't respond they just don't like and so I think they were kind of dealing with the mental aspect of that which led to them making more mistakes you see what Mm -hmm. I'm saying like it was so more the Celtics but at the same time it's like Steph went for 21 in the first quarter so it's like he's gonna slow down the rest of the game. You, you know what I mean. So there were there were a lot of different factors there, but I think you know if you're gonna go percentage wise, I'd say it's like at least maybe even seventy thirty, but at least sixty forty, like mm. Celtics defense and then Warriors kind of not making plays. But I think them not making the plays came from the frustration of the Celtics defense being effective in the second half. Yeah, because I know they have the experience, but it's always been like the problem with the Warriors. They can get like too laid back because they get these huge leads that they just let other teams get back in the game. So I don't think they expected the Celtics to come back the way that they did. But if you've been watching the Celtics, they've been through a heck of a lot this postseason. Mm -hmm. Um, And even though, you know, when I was watching and when you were score watching, we probably didn't expect them to come back. I I really didn't. When I saw that point, I was like, oh, Warriors just made their run. And it's, you know, business as usual for the Warriors in the playoffs and the finals specifically. Um, But man, as you've seen in the Heat series, as you saw in the Bucks series, and even in the Nets series, even though it was a sweep, all close games where they had to make comebacks as well. I want to say they had some big comebacks Mm -hmm. in those Nets games. Um, that was really the story in game one. So uh, just what a job for the Celtics. Shout out to my boy Derek. Hit that three. (laughs) When he had to bail bail Jalen Brown out once again. It's just Derek White's the third. You know, he's just been carrying him the whole way. Yep, yep. (laughs) Getting no credit. Mm -hmm. No, but obviously Derek White is a big part of them going to the finals. All jokes aside, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are the guys. But... Um, with what Derek White has done in the playoffs, especially defensively um, leading up to this point, and now he's clicking offensively. Uh, this is the type of stuff that we were talking about uh, and why the Spurs were so high on him for so long. I think he just needed to find a place where, you know, he could have somebody like a Jalen Brown or a Jason Tatum mm-hmm. to kind of work off of. Yes, uh, hopefully sure. he can be their Manu type guy for years to come. I don't know if I would give him that, but yeah. definitely, definitely quality. Yeah, I think he would like, as in like, you know, a top level, obviously, yeah, not Manu all-star level. Who knows? Uh, nah, probably not. No. But <laughs> thank you for keeping me down to earth, Ethan. No. But the point is here, it, being a high-level six-man on a finals team, that yeah. I think he can embody uh, whenever it comes to Manu, at least. Not 6'6 six, six dunking on people, though. Although no. he did dunk on Paul Millsap. Can never forget that. Never, never forget. forget that game. And that's why we believed him. And that's why Mark Obedgodson says, playoff, playoff Eric. Eric is real it's facts it's Playoff facts Derek. finals Derek has been unlocked that's what one mm. of my uh 
one of my Celtics fans friends said to me. But let's get to the Spurs here, Ethan. Uh, we've just got a lot going on, but not mm-hmm. a lot going on. We've yeah. got a lot to talk about in regards to free agency and who the Spurs could pick in the NBA draft or if they're going to package some of their picks. Got four picks right now, 20 and 25 late in the first. I forget exactly where the second round pick is. I want to say it's in the top half, though. Uh, and then, of course, the number nine pick. Uh, there was an article that I read yesterday that I'm going to go ahead and pull up and try to screen share for us just on a perfect draft scenario for the Spurs. But while I do that, Ethan, I kind of just want, you know, I'm sure you've been reading stuff, looking at stuff. Uh, maybe, you know, a lot of opinions haven't necessarily changed, but like what are kind of your thoughts on the Spurs needs and, and just the Spurs draft in general? Oh, man, I, I tend to stay away from like guessing who we're going to draft. Yeah, cause that's like a shot in the dark at this point. But a player like a need for the team, I'm still I'm still on that three, four or four, five kind of six, eight, six, nine forward slash center, perhaps that can mm-hmm. that can be a versatile defender and grow into a shooter uh, eventually. Um, I'm not really looking for a scorer at this point. Obviously, if he can score, that's a plus. But we just need some size at that four spot uh, predominantly that can get rebounds and help Keldon out because at 6'5", he cannot guard modern-day power forwards. He's just undersized, and there's nothing he can do about it. Uh, So if we were to move him to the three, get a young gun to play that four spot, um, I'd be very, very happy. And, and, and another backup center, probably. I know we love Zach Collins. We love um, oh Jock God. Landale. Jock Land- <laughs> I was like, I'm blanking on the Australian's name. Jock Landale. But just to have another young guy at that spot that maybe has a little bit more potential that we can that we can grow around, um, I'm all for. And then another guard, I guess, if we're going to get rid of Lonnie Walker. Um, who knows where that's going. It all really depends on what we're doing with Lonnie Walker, to be honest with you, if we were to go draft another guard. And I love Trey Jones, but a lot of people think that we need an upgrade at that spot as well, and I kind of understand that. Um, So who knows? But like I said, it's a shot in the dark with the Spurs front office. That is very true. We definitely saw that last year. Mm -hmm. I can't, I mean, we've said it countless times on the show about the shock that Josh Primo was and how we were all upset. And then we weren't upset at all. And we were like, okay, we should have all just shut up. Um, But it's just funny. A lot of the needs you mentioned was kind of the needs that were mentioned um, in that article. And so I'm going to go ahead and pull this up. We're going to share screen for the first time. Oh, wow. Of course, it says I don't have permissions. All right. So I'm just going (laughs) to read this to you. Wow. This is let me see if I can even change that. I don't even know. I'm not going to try to do that live. But the point is, Jonathan Givenoy, who's one of ESPN's big like basketball NBA draft people specifically, right? Like he's not Woj, but he's like specifically covering the draft. And he has a whole thing called draft express where he covers the combine Um, very in tune on the combat uh, or on the picks and on, you know, kind of where the team's, you know, mindset is. And he mentioned one of the things that you mentioned as well. Um, When it comes to Keldon Johnson playing the four, That has just been something that has been tough for the Spurs, right? So here's what he says, and this is actually in regards to the number 20 pick, which I'll get to a little bit later. Um, But the Spurs, he opens it up with the Spurs don't have a true power forward on the roster. Mostly starting six six foot six, Keldon Johnson within a group of four mainly perimeter players in a smaller virtual lineup uh, that was able to make the NBA play in tournament, right? And that was basically by design to have a switch heavy team um, that looked to prioritize ball movement and clean offensive spacing. But if the Spurs want to take another step into playoff contention, um, 
adding a versatile forward would be something that would be huge. So you mentioned that and other people are seeing that as well. Um, that's not who they have the Spurs picking at number nine, though. That actually is addressed in the number 20 pick, uh, which I think you'll be happy about. But who he has picking the Spurs picking at number nine is Jalen Duren. And so I know that I've even mentioned that I didn't really like necessarily his March Madness performance. Performance. I watched him. I was like, uh, maybe he's just DeAndre Jordan. But when I read Givenaway's kind of explanation here, it does give me a little bit more of, I guess, um, a boost on my opinion of Jalen. Um, so obviously 6'10", physical, um, but he's the youngest player in the draft from America. Let me actually say that. Not the youngest player in the draft, but the youngest American player in the draft, 18 and a half years old. So there's that kind of similar primo mm -hmm. type, you know, age appeal to him. But the main reason that he talks about him is because his two biggest questions, I believe, um, is obviously his jumper and his, um, I forget what the other one is, but they, they, he mentions Chip England. Obviously, that's one thing that, you know, could be maybe mitigated uh, when joining the Spurs. And then I think he just says with Popovich developing Duran every day in practice, I've can't find where it is right now, but there was another little thing that basically he could get better at that would specifically work with Popovich. I think it's just physicality unlocking that, um, you know, a hundred percent of the time getting the motor, because when you watch some of his alley-oops and stuff like that at Memphis, definitely a lot of energy. But the other thing that he does mention, and this is a little bit off topic, um, is Jakob Pertl demanding a healthy raise off his bargain $9.4 million salary as a 27-year-old next summer. So he's going into his prime. If, In all honesty, like we're choosing Devin Primo or Keldon over Jakob Depay, right? Yes. So that is the big appeal here of Jalen Duran. He's probably the next be best big guy. Obviously, there's a drop-off, but he's probably the next best like center other than Chet in the draft, right? And yeah. I think also with the Spurs kind of team, they don't need somebody that's necessarily going to be a floor spacer. Like it would be nice, but if they can get somebody at the four um, later in this draft, which we'll see, um, or just even in free agency, like a Kyle Anderson type, I think that they can kind of run this like mm -hmm. four guys who can shoot around a run, jump and dunk athletic center. As we saw with Jakob, he just didn't have, you know, he doesn't have enough size next to him that would help, but 250 pounds, a 75 uh, or a 7.5 wingspan. Um, he's drawn some comparisons to Dwight Howard. Um, just somebody who's super athletic, can leap, lob catching, shot blocker, um, and being a rim protector. And we just also, I think with Popovich, what I was getting at earlier that I didn't really explain well, was that like Popovich knows how to develop bigs specifically. Yeah. So he could unlock a lot more, you know, low post moves and post game for Duran, uh, you know, being in the Spurs throughout his rookie contract. What are your kind of thoughts on, on giving away thinking about Jalen Duran at number 10? I'm warming up to the pick. I know earlier in the year, I was like really hesitant to pick him at nine because ideally at that spot, you would hope to find somebody with superstar potential that you're like, there's pretty much a guarantee that he will eventually be an all-star. And with Jalen Duran, we both agreed that was seemed less likely because he's just kind of a very athletic run, jump and dunk center. As you said, not a lot of low post skill, it seemed, just a very big and uh, high energy and, and, and aggressive center um, that can block shots. But at this point, you have to ask yourself, it's pretty much what Jakob is. 
but Jakob is not as athletic, right? So you would say he's also Jaylen... not 18 and a half. And exactly. the two areas that like, here's the difference between Duran and Jakob also, like there's potential for Duran in the low post and there's potential yeah. for him as a shooter where right. there's not that for Jakob as much as we love yeah. him. Now the only, the only thing is I don't, I haven't watched enough tape on Jalen Duran to know how good of a passer he is because Jakob Pertl is an underrated passer and he understands mm-hmm. how to move the ball and he understands how to be in the right place at the right time. With a young center like a Jalen Duran, I don't know how good he'll be or how fast he'll be able to pick that skill up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's safe to say in the pick and roll with DJ, he'll be dangerous. Otherwise, it's hard to say how how much of an impact he'll have offensively right off the bat. But I didn't even think about that Dwight Howard comparison because that is a pretty good comparison. Because coming out of high school for Dwight Howard in 2004, he had almost no skill except for dunking the ball. And he played power forward because Dwight Howard's only 6'10". He didn't even mm-hmm. play center for the first couple of years. And then Stan Van Gundy surrounded him with Hito Turkoglu and Jameer Nelson and shooters like that and J.J. Redick, and their offense just went through the roof. So if that's what his potential is, I am completely open to taking Jalen Durant at that spot. Yeah. Um, the other thing, kind of just the theme here when we're talking about him, and this is kind of what I mentioned earlier, and this was kind of the main two points from Givenoy, like he has two areas where he could improve in, and that is where the Spurs specialize, like whenever it yeah. comes to improving players in shooting and in developing big slow post games. So yeah. you know, there's, there's no a lot skill. of appeal there, right? Um, yeah. But I also understand the apprehension here. Uh, Yili Yang says that potentially you could trade down. Um, but I think, you know, if you look at the rest of this draft and if it plays out the way that Givenoy thinks, um, this, I think you'll be re- even more satisfied with, with Duren at 10. Uh, our man Marco Godson says Duren could beat a modern admiral. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet, but I would, boy, I would love to see that. That is for sure. I think but the admiral had a little more skill <laughs> coming, <laughs> coming out of college, just a little bit more. Yeah. Hey, but maybe not the the vertical and the athleticism. Obviously, I don't know. Still a <laughs> Hall of Famer. That is true. But David was getting I, up there early. That is that is very true. And and you never know because if David Robinson played in today's game, he might be catching a lot more lobs. Um, true. Very good point. Uh, but at number twenty, going back to kind of the Spurs not having a true power forward on the roster uh, from Toronto, Jonathan Givenoy has the Spurs taking. LSU forward Tari Eason and I know we've talked about him a lot we've talked about even potentially picking him at nine um but it seems like that just with the way that this draft is it's honestly a a pretty talented draft this could be one where Tari Eason falls and if the Spurs were able to get him at eight or not at eight excuse me at 20 um after getting to Ren at nine I think that that would be huge um just for the draft because i mean those are two real positions that honestly the spurs need like you mentioned a backup center right which Mm -hmm. is probably what duren would be this year or he'd be in the g league and then next year would be a backup center um with jacob leaving and then obviously a four like you mentioned and i think getting somebody like tari eason who's got a 7-2 wingspan Kawhi like hands um you know has a potential uh jump shot that's you know maybe a little bit shaky a lot better than Durant's but once again you give him Chip England 
that's, you know, something that could be a skill for him and just his physicality. And then this is something I've mentioned before, but it's just so Spursy. He was the best player on the Tigers by far. Like everybody knew that Tari Eason was the best player for LSU last year. As an LSU fan, everybody knew it, but he was a six man. Why? Because it was, it gave the Tigers the best chance to win. And that is something that is just super Spursy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so to add a long-armed versatile forward like Eason could make a lot of sense uh, if he's still on the board, which is a question. But I think that there is uh, a chance that maybe that happens. You know, only so only thirty-six percent from three, but still eighty percent free throw shooter. Um, and I watched him. He doesn't. Ha- he kind of has a weird release. So once again, like I feel like if you get him in the gym with Chip, like he's gonna be a decent like three-point shooter at at the least. You know, because thirty-six percent isn't that terrible you know, as a starting point, especially when you look at him being an 80% free throw shooter, which usually shows that they're, you know, if you have a high an 80 plus free throw percentage, you you've got some touch. Um, He also had 47 dunks uh, throughout the year. Um, And he had, he rarely had plays called for him because he played on. (laughs) So LSU was ranked second to last in assists. So he had to do a lot of this off the dribble, right? In the Mm. half court. Um, So, that if you get him in a Spurs system where there's a lot more ball movement, there's also the appeal of maybe a part of his game not being unlocked as well. I know we like Tari Eason. Uh, it's pretty obvious, especially me being a big LSU fan. But Ethan, what are your thoughts on Tari Eason, especially getting him at 20? If we can get him at 20, I say pull the trigger immediately um, because he does address that need of a versatile four that can de- that can defend basically, I don't know about one, but two through four. He can switch. How is he in the pick and roll? I would say decent, you know, like especially defensively. Um, okay. Not really on offense. The big, Maybe a pick and pop guy, rarely. Okay. Kind of like I said, in this year's LSU team, he was yeah. kind of like the team. Um, maybe not. I, yeah. He had a couple other pieces, but he had to do a lot of the work off the dribble. So uh, defensively, as a pick and roll switch guy, he, he's solid. That's the other thing. Defensively, he is a solid physical defender. Sometimes has some mental lapses, but like that's the only. It's not because he's like not paying attention. It's just because... Also, yeah. it was well Will Wade's last year at LSU. He just didn't really know the scheme. Like, if he knows the scheme, knows where to go, he's going to be a solid defender. I'm with that pick. I like Tari Eason. I do too. Now, this is one that I think would be interesting, and this is who he has at 25. And this is G League Ignite freshman, technically freshman, right? Really professional. Um, Jaden Hardy, six uh, yeah. four guard, 20 years old. Um, Ignite only went nine and 18 this year. He had a rough year, but still has exceedingly high potential. Um, and basically what he's saying here is with their final pick of the first round, the Spurs can afford to take a swing with the player with the biggest upside in hopes of striking gold. Like they did previously in the late round with Kelvin Johnson, Derek White, and DeJounte Murray. Um, Hardy started the season as a projected top five pick, but his stock slid quite a bit after an extremely inefficient season that was marred by poor shooting selection, selection, too many turnovers, and defensive lapses, right? Mm-hmm. All of that doesn't sound great, but still a super talented player, has a year against you know NBA experience. He's going to be in the G League again anyway, but if you listen to too many turnovers, defensive lapses, and poor shot selection, those are also things that you know, kind of fit with things that the Spurs can are really good at, right? So there is that appeal. Um, This would definitely be more of a swing behind two other pretty solid draft picks. Um, 
but if he's still there, he's also got a six nine wingspan for uh, a six four guy. That's kind of similar to Dejounte. Um, so not obviously in his defensive skill, but just in the fact that Dejounte's got a close to seven foot wingspan at six four. Also, um, what are just kind of your thoughts on him and, and that potential pick? I like him at twenty five. It rounds out our point guard depth. We would have. DJ, Trey Jones, and then him in the G League, obviously try and get a little bit more experience, get those turnovers down. And like you said, in the Spurs system, Pop's not going to let you go crazy. We're not going to let a Russell Westbrook happen under Pop's watch. So those things will be toned down. He will learn to fix it. And, you know, Manu was a turnover machine early. Tony Parker was kind of a turnover machine early, a little too wild. He didn't know how to be a, like a point guard until a couple years into the league. So mm-hmm. these are things that we can fix and really harness – you know, his ability, because he does have a lot of potential. He was a top five projected pick a year ago. You don't just lose that talent. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So he was just playing against adults. You know? Yeah, it was a his shock stock might probably. be higher in college. Exactly. So I'm with that. If we can get him at 25, it's a nice pick. Like you said, G League, give him a couple years and he'd be a nice backup point guard for sure. I agree. Well, before we get into the last pick, which I actually think is really intriguing, like the second round pick was probably the pick I cared the least about. But after reading this article, I was like, I'd actually really like this kid. Um, But before we get into that, I think that our man uh, Sal Calderon asks a really important question here. If Sharp, as in Shaden Sharp, um, who was one of the top, I I believe he was, I don't know if he was top three or top five, but was up there uh, coming out of high school you know, in this recruiting class, didn't practice much, didn't play much at Kentucky, basically because he got injured. And then his camp, his camp, yes, (laughs) we have nightmares of that, but just bear with me, um, was like, hey, don't play, basically. Like, why risk your draft stock by trying to join this team midway through the year when you Mm -hmm. just can, like, it's actually kind of reasonable, like, is the thing, like, so, because, you know, you could mess up their chemistry, you're, like, he would have been so involved, it's like, you might as well just keep your stock, and then, you know, not, not play, and recover fully from your injury, but then again, it's like, if he could have played, and he didn't, we've seen this movie before, so that's kind of the reason why he could potentially drop to nine, um, and I think if he's there, you just have to. There's just too much talent. I know that I just kind of alluded to the whole Kawhi camp thing, and that doesn't seem like the most Spurs thing to do. But I think if Shaden Sharp is there at nine, you bet your butt Brian Wright is picking him. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I just don't know enough about him to give you an answer. Well, I'll it's fair. He the, he didn't play his yeah, college. All you know is high school. <laughs> I'll I'll go with Jude's opinion and say that's my opinion because I I really just don't. I have no idea. Yeah. He, he's super explosive. He's only 6'5", so it'd be another guard. But, I mean, he'd be like, honestly, he'd probably just be like a better version of Primo. Like, the I third, know that's third year in a row drafting a 6'5 <laughs> guard. <laughs> yeah. If he falls, like, that's what's going to happen. But if he doesn't, you know, maybe we don't want him to fall. <laughs> yeah, please don't give us that option. <laughs> but let's talk about a different position, and we can round out the video here today, Ethan, with our – so the Spurs final pick, uh, this is the number 38 pick, which is actually from the Lakers. And they have us taking international center from Gran uh, Canaria, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, just participated uh, in the basketball without borders camp, I believe in Africa, because um, there's a couple different sections of that. Um, 
but he is I, i'm trying to even figure out where the country's from they don't even say this but his name is khalifa diop okay not oh. no no relation to kieta bates diop but he is just a seven foot international center um that didn't really you know get uh, a lot of looks necessarily from colleges but when he went to the nba's basketball without borders camp that was really um, where he showed out. And the main appeal to him, obviously he's a second round pick, um, but he can make good decisions. He's a good passer, um, seven foot, 250 pound frame. He played an excellent ACB quarterfinal playoff. Don't know what that is. Oh no, the best team in European basketball in Barcelona. Okay. So he was playing oh. for, yeah, in the Euro league. And he posted in the playoff series, he posted 32 points and 12 rebounds in 55 minutes through three games. So mainly off the bench, but an exceptionally mobile big man who plays the game with tremendous intensity and is one of the most versatile defenders in the draft and can still rotate fluidly to the paint to meet opponents at the summit and protect the rim. So basically, he's kind of a versatile defender, seven foot defender who's big, um, but has shooting potential and can also guard on the perimeter. Which, I mean, like, you can get this dude in the second round. Um, I think that you can go ahead and throw him in the G League and uh, see what happens. Because who knows? I mean, it may take him a little bit to develop. But in the second round, this seems like a pretty solid value pick that would match up with the Spurs. Who else is second round center draft pick from overseas? Nikola Jokic. Maybe this is our... This is our Jokic. Obviously, Jokic was not a versatile <laughs> defender coming out of the draft, but he was a good passer um, and had a lot of experience overseas. So I'm with that. I mean, like, I, I, I haven't seen any film on this guy. Yeah. But versatile defending center, seven feet tall. I like that. Let's 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 go with that one. Yeah, and I think I may have mentioned that he had some stretchability. That was my memory failing me because it's actually saying he doesn't suggest much potential to emerge as a floor spacer, ah. but. Still, if we're playing this run, jump and dunk center kind of in the, you know, around all of these shooters, right? You know, obviously we still need a bigger four. Um, Still having some, if you're not going to be able to shoot, at least be able to switch and defend on the perimeter. Kind of like Robert Williams. You know what I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. this could be something that doesn't turn out to be anything, um, but still did a pretty good job competing in the Euro League. Is only 20 years old has professional experience and i think you know the spurs need as many solid defending bigs uh that they can get honestly at this point and he also i believe he averaged a dunk every 16 minutes he's on the floor um and is a capable passer out of short roll situations uh so those are some other things that uh definitely match up with kind of the spurs so a draft and stash candidate for sure Heck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Pull the trigger. All right. All right, Ethan. Well, that's kind of our main draft overview there. Um, any thoughts on free agency just to wrap this thing up? I know we had our two videos on DeAndre Ayton and Zach Levine. Anybody else you just kind of want to talk about or just your thoughts on the Spurs going into free agency? I think it's more likely that we'll make a move for somebody like Kyle Anderson or another role player to just kind of fill out the depth chart. I doubt we make any big splashes, unfortunately. Yeah. <sighs> I'm with you. <laughs> our, man Mark, our man Marco goes on says Bryn Forbes. Yes. We're bringing him back and we're getting another second round pick out of him and bringing him right back again. Please. That's what we're going to do for the next 10 years. We're just going to take Bryn Forbes on a minimum, trade him somewhere with championship potential, bring him back again, and we'll just keep getting second round picks out of him. 
<laughs> Heck yeah, I'm with it. Well, I guess for me, kind of looking at it, yeah, I, I, Kyle Anderson is honestly, that's like the one, the real, like if I think there's one person we're going to go out and get, I think it would be him. Maybe he stays with the Grizzlies, but I think that like, so say Tari Eason develops and can kind of play the backup for this year. Probably not. It'll probably be Keita Bates-Diop, but you need somebody else that can just jump up a little bit. Like you would much rather have a Kyle Anderson starting at the four than Doug McDermott. That's no yeah. hate to Doug. It's just, he is a much better defender, obviously not the shooter, but still a solid three point shooter and can pass where, and then you can move maybe Doug to the three off the bench. Um, definitely just need an upgrade there. Like somebody who can physically match up at the four position, because that is something that the Spurs have been missing other than Keita Bates. <laughs> I agree. 100%. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, maybe this first make a big splash, but I'm kind of with Ethan here. I'm really keeping my eyes on Kyle Anderson and probably just drafting everybody else and continuing to kind of build this chemistry that the Spurs have with a little bit more size. Um, but we'll have to see, Ethan. We will have to wait and see. Thank you guys for tuning in. We will catch you guys in the next one. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Ethan underscore Quintero and at Jude McLaren. And then also, don't forget to like and subscribe if you enjoyed the video as well. Thank you guys so much. Be on the lookout for clips. Be on the lookout for another SSP, SP, SSPN Live coming soon. And we'll see y'all later.